Digital Drift, episode 34, recorded July 1st, 2014, Transformers, Dark of the Moon? Dark, Dark of the Moon. Our entire space race of the 1960s was in response to an event. You breathe a word of what you've seen here. We'll do time for treason. Everything humans know of our planet, we were told had been shared. You lied to us. You've made a grave mistake. Years from now, I'm gonna ask. Where were you when they took over the planet? You'll be fine. I promise. It's over. I'm sorry, but it's over. Optimus! You may lose your faith in us, but never in yourselves. From here... The fight will be your own. <sighs> My name is Alex Shaw and welcome to the Jackasses still reviewing the Transformers movies. With me as always is Sharon Shaw. Hello. And our guest is Neil Taylor of Gameburst. Hello. I have a theory that Transformers gained its foothold in our collective consciousness, not because of the cool toys, and they were cool, not because of the striking promotional artwork depicting shining robots fighting in space, comic books of different continuities written by true fans on either side of the Atlantic, an entirely different storyline in Japan, and the ever-present commercials always dangling the next bot before our eyes. Those things were all key, but my theory is a far simpler, more elemental reason. The Transformers theme made us feel sad. In just a few bars, it spoke of a people that fought on against immeasurable, insurmountable odds, who would probably never succeed to see the home and the peace that they craved. Combine this with the performance of Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime, and you have something truly powerful, despite the silly robot shenanigans throughout. Cullen was instructed in his audition to play the role bluff and jingoistic, a flag-waving patriot barking orders like Tommy Lee Jones's Chip Hazard in Small Soldiers, a film that parodies the Autobot-Decepticon dichotomy being abused to flog toys superbly. Instead, he channeled his brother Larry, who was a soldier in Vietnam, and delivered his lines with grave conviction, never allowing his temper to show, and controlling his tone in the way that Larry had done on returning from the war. This speaks of a soldier who has already fought long and hard, and reserves his ferocity for determined action on the battlefield. It suggests enormous potential strength. It was Prime that kept the Transformers TV show alive through two extremely successful seasons. The third, now without Optimus, withered away as fans mourned the loss of everything they loved about the show, epitomized by the enormous vacuum of presence and charisma that Cullen left behind. 
After a brief return at the end of Season 3, designed to sell Power Master Optimus Prime, the show had a three-episode-long mini-series labelled Series 4 and shuffled off. It seemed natural that Cullen would return to the series, but for 20 years, it went back and forth without him. Generation 2 was little more than reruns, with Optimus interstitials, Beast Wars swapped him for a gorilla, Robots in Disguise, Armada, Energon and Cybertron were all anime style and he was absent, Transformers Animated, which debuted in 2007, the same year as the first live-action film, went for yet another Optimus voice, and a different Prime altogether, young, unsure, and very much like Rodimus in Season 3. So really, when Optimus turns up and transforms before Michaela and also Sam in the first movie, this was the first true return of Peter Cullen's character, at least for the long term. One so key to the series' true heights of mass popularity that it's astonishing to think of the 21 years they wasted not doing this since the first animated movie. I can assure you of two things. One is that if the leader of the Autobots had been a scooter named Scooter, voiced by Gilbert Gottfried, we wouldn't have had four live-action movies with at least two more planned. Two is that if the writer of the second, third and fourth movies, Aaron Kruger, had ever sat down and listened to that theme tune, really listened to it, let the smallness and sadness and inevitable absence of true victory at its core, coupled with loyalty and friendship and refusal to give up nonetheless, speak to the grease stain he calls a soul, he might comprehend how very wrong everything feels in how he delivers this. The positive critics excuse these as big dumb fun, but they're only fun for a few people. What we're the most angry about is that it's not fun at all for the rest of us. It's just big and dumb, and those two together equate to a colossal waste of time and money. The they only the only reason it balances out at all is because so many people attend for different reasons, either because they do find them fun, because they're bored enough to blow ten bucks and go on a dreadful, unbalanced and mistimed theme park ride, or because they hold out hope that this time there will be some shred of something real, something human, or even something more than human found within. I'm just going to go ahead and go out on a limb and suggest that every one of our listeners who's going to see these movies every time is the latter. They're, they're the dreamers, the hopers, the brown coats. In which case, I ask you one more time, please stop feeding the beast. These films actually seem to be getting progressively worse, with the target demographic aging along with the series. The first film was aimed at 15-year-old boys desperate for a car and a shag. Or even for her to just... Just look at it! Look at it! The second is aimed at 18-year-old frat boys desperate to escape their horrible parents and get their grubby hands on some college strange. The third is aimed at jaded 20-something, seemingly angry at a world that owes them a living and doesn't see them as a special hero. I don't know what the fourth one does, so please do explain it in as much detail as possible on the forum, because it's going to be a long time before I can stomach one of these again. You'll notice that Transformers barely figure in where these are aimed at at all. They are incidental additions to the plot, a way to toss giant robots, gun-toting soldiers, government agents, conspiracy theories, and rampant totty into the lives of some despicable demographic that I pray is smaller than the marketer's estimate. These three films aren't about the Transformers. 
They're about a selfish little boy and how he eventually claims to be a fraction less selfish. We see no real evidence of this, but there's little else to conclude. What's worst about this third one, however, is that they turn the quiet, battle-weary soldier of Optimus that we all know and love into a twitching, murderous sociopath with no verbalized conflict, no development of character, and no discussion of ethics. Prime is facing the invasion of Earth by his own species, one he must conclude is a grave danger to the human race. This fight is not black and white. Our enemy is led by a defector. Two of my Autobots are prior Decepticons. Allegiances can change with perspective, and no one deserves death without a chance for redemption. But time has run out, and I find myself wrestling with my allegiances. Where does the line lie between traitor and hero? I ask you all, must every one of our people die to protect a species we have adopted in absence of our own home? At least that's what he should have said, because we don't get any of that. He just turns up muttering something along the lines of, We will kill them all. And then goes and smokes a whole pack of Marlboro Reds around the back of the Willis Tower, while a lot of human soldiers take back Chicago, turning up for a brief rocket pack escapade, and then at the finale, to sickeningly murder Megatron, tearing his spine out. Then... As his mentor lies pleading for mercy, he shoots him in the head, execution style, and stands staring over his fallen comrades, spouts a quick platitude about not forsaking us, and that's the end. The Prime I know would be broken inside at this point. The actions I'm seeing are more in line with a crazed veteran who's been allowed one too many tours of duty and may finish the battle collecting Decepticon ears for his new necklace. It's worse than the second, because there's absolutely nothing to redeem this heartbreaking violation of one of the most enduringly beloved characters of all time. Kill him if you want, make him lame, color him all the day-glow hues of the early 90s, but don't make him perform horrendous acts and pretend that that wouldn't affect him in ways we need to know about. This third film is despicable and it gives me less than zero pleasure to review it for you now the fact that it made 1.1 billion dollars at the box office just about puts this on the level of a cybertronian war crime so you guys got your good and bad lists that would imply there was something good <laughs> i was gonna say do i need one also, can we point out these films also constantly prove how fucking useless Sam is? He is. Oh. Uh, he's not just... He's so selfish in this one. My God. Oh, Everything Jesus relates Christ. back to him. What about me? How do you think this makes me feel? Nobody gives a fuck! Premise when we first meet Sam. Let us feel sorry for Sam, for he has no job and is struggling, and he saved the planet so many times, yet he has a supermodel girlfriend. He had the government pay his university bills and is living in a fabulous, well, maybe not fabulous, but he's living in a very spacious apartment in Washington, D.C. Which she pays for. Which she pays for. Which is fine. That's a fine situation to be in. I concur. I relate. 
But he says, it's not fair. Life's not fair. You see, I, I should have been king. And you (laughs) shall never see the light of another day. Adieu. Sam does, he does kind of epitomize the, uh, it's not fair. You use that term so often. I wonder what your basis for a comparison is. He's, Okay, the it's thing. The beginning that, of a journey where you've learned to be less of a shit. He, exactly. He, like, he doesn't really, we don't see him learn anything. He just says at the end, I've just been such an asshole. Yes, you have. But the thing is, he says that, but he does sod all to change that, not through his actions anyway. He has, um, there's a moment when, uh, Francis McDormand says to him, you're just a messenger. Yes, exactly. He is just a messenger. At that point, she is supposed to be the horrendous face of authority that is basically saying to Sam, you do not deserve to be special. You do not deserve to go around with a a medal around your neck saying, I am unique. I saved the world. You're supposed to just merge in with the rest of your generation who has to put up with a muck job and just getting on with their life. And um, Carly has said to him, in a, a speech which I can't describe it as wonderful, but it does actually give her character a fraction of a dimension for a bare second before it then gets stepped all over again. Um, when he's talking about uh, the things that he's done and that he basically wants to go out and do them again because he feels useless and he or, or not he feels useless, but he feels like he's... I don't know, talents aren't being utilised correctly. What talents? Exactly. What can he do? Carly comes from a military family, and it seems from the conversation that she has with Sam at that point that her father was killed in action. And she uh, says I think it's to meant him, to be a brother. Oh, is it a brother? I it's do apologise. I thought it was a father. Well, either way, they're talking about Sam's medal, and she says this, you know, this relative of hers who's who had loads of medals from their military service, do you think we'd rather have had his medals or had him back? And then that heartfelt moment just disappears because Sam goes, no, I'm going to go off with John Turturro and do more big hero crashy bang stuff. That was ripped from uh, Google Hunting, by the way. Mini Driver says the exact same thing on it. It's not medals. She just says, you know, you know I, I'd give all of this money back just to have him back. Hey, today. I never said it was original. <laughs> but, but it's the only thing this film's got going for it. Come on. If you're going to allow it, anything. Allow Is that, that your good pile? That's, that's the good pile. It's a very small pile. Um, and then... As I say, Francis McDormand says it's about you, you were just a messenger. Now, if the rest of the film had been about Sam accepting that, then I could have got behind that. And I'm sure some people will argue that it is because he says at the very end, no, I'm just a messenger. And then saves the whole world by but, doing a thing. Well, it, what he does is fairly minor in the grand scheme of things. Ultimately, it's Bumblebee who saves the situation by knocking out the right thing at the right time and um, shooting the right thing at the right time and somebody else crushes one of the pillars. But it's the the incongruity between standing up proudly on a mound of, of uh, broken Autobots and hands on hips saying, I'm just a messenger. No, because you're still trying to be the hero. And he's just not... 
and he's terrible and he's horrible in this. He's so selfish and he's so self-obsessed and poor Carly is just trying to do her job and care about him and look after him. She is going way above and beyond what the average girlfriend needs to do for somebody at this point. And all he does is spit it all back in her face because it makes him feel, what, inadequate? Is it, is it, is it doing things to your erectile ability, Sam? You know, cause heart bleeds and all that. They're horrendously Just... incompatible, by the way. He needs someone who will smack him up sharp. Yes, indeed. And it is a great shame that unfortunately Michaela couldn't continue to be a part of this story. She was um, mean. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of Warrior goddess. Indeed. Uh, Forget uh, about it. Many things that Carly may be, warrior goddess, she is not. And bless her, she does... Well, I was going to say she does her best with the... I mean, the material in this is even worse than what Megan Fox was given to work with. That's because it was... This one's entirely devoid of Orsi and Kurtzman. Basically, I suspect they didn't have actually all that much involvement with Transformers 2 because it doesn't seem like a human wrote it. No, a human didn't write it. Aaron fucking Kruger wrote it, and I can't stand him. And, you know, I don't want to just, like, go, you know, let Michael Bay off the hook here. He's still demon spawn. But, yeah, no one ever seems to mention Aaron Kruger, and... uh, Oh, I remember him, because he... He popped up in another franchise I quite enjoyed, and spoilt the third in that one. Which one was that one? It would have been Scream 3. Ugh. He's He's done nothing good, ever. I, th- I think I have the biggest, I'm the most embittered and have the biggest vendetta against writers because so much, so much of the importance of, of how a film is brought across, it's down to director, but it's, they need the building blocks of the script and so many shitty scripts get through. I don't know how. And it seems almost like basically the most connected writers get to write them and they're abusing their positions with this shit. Well, the thing is, he gets work because of commercial success. That's what studios look at. He's wrote, he's wrote Transformers 3. Hit it, but 1.1 billion. That's what people will see. Because you have to remember with these films, these films are a triumph of commercialism over any artistic ability or integrity whatsoever. Well, uh, uh, Kermode said from the very beginning that uh, Bay directs with a pornographic sensibility. I think that just pretty much defined uh, what you just said. <laughs> it, uh, uh, no artistic merit causes sexual thought. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, it's a slight difference between me and you. You, you know, sometimes I, I will acknowledge a film can be created for a consumerist sort of point of view. Not all film is art. But well, yeah, no, no, I'm not, that's not a requirement uh, for me. I love Ninja Assassin. Oh god, that's but it awesome. ain't art. <laughs> it's awesome. But the point is, there are still people out there that do have the integrity and do produce some fantastic pieces of work. Yeah. But then, it, then you see people like Aaron Kruger in this, and you're like, oh. I suppose it bothers me the most because I, I'm, I'm a writer and I want to be a successful writer, and it, it, it just it can't not bother me. How could it not? Uh, let's go to the good because I've got a small good pile. Uh, the thing I notice with all of my good pile is that. It's a good aspect, but then it's wasted. It's a, it's a better score than uh, the uh, second one, which was just a rehashed version of the first film. Uh, it's uh, Steve Jablonski again. But some of the best moments, the ones which really stand out, are copied almost wholesale from The Dark Knight. <laughs> it's astonishing. The beginning where it goes... <laughs> 
That's immediately after the Joker's finished his bank robbery. And then um, the bit near the end where it's like sort of we're gonna go, na, 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 na. it's the, a Dark Knight bit from the very very end of the dark. It's a, it's it's almost like Hans Zimmer should sue, but at the same time he copies himself all the time. So I guess it's part of the call yeah, of someone else. You're a, if you're Hans Zimmer, it's okay to copy yourself. If you're not Hans Zimmer, it is not okay to copy Hans freaking Zimmer. I'm fairly certain Steve Jablonski may be one of Hans Zimmer's protégés like uh, Harry Gregson-Williams. He seems to uh, compose from the heart. I will give him the benefit of the doubt in that his score for one and three um, have very moving moments. It's just that um, this third one, as I said, that the, the high points are cribbed. Um, it's nice to see Optimus Prime's trailer. Was it in the second one? I don't think so. I can remember. Although absolutely nothing comes of it. I believe he carries around some soldiers in it, and then at the end he sort of goes down the street with it on his back, and then it's, it it's a knocked kit, aside by the sound uh, shockwave. Yeah, it opened out into what I thought was some kind of transportation gate, but then he just locked on some guns from it. Oh, if it had been a space yeah. bridge type thing, that would have... Or oh, ground bridge, whatever it was called in Prime. That would have been cool. Yeah. That would have been actually an interesting idea. Make it something. But, yeah, but, again, nothing came of it. Nice to see Frances McDormand. What was she doing in this film? Good question. And she's totally wasted as well, because... Oh, uh, isn't she? I, I said last episode that I knew, remember Tim Robbins was in it. Tim Robbins wasn't in it at all. What am I talking about? <laughs> he was in Arlington Road. I think I'm just remembering Tim Robbins as the president in Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shaved Me. <laughs> And like I said last time, John Malkovich, why were you here? My Alan God. Tudek, why are you here? John Malkovich. I, I, uh, what did I say John Malkovich looked like? Uh, John Malkovich looks like a tango-addicted hobgoblin. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Um, it's nice to hear Leonard Nimoy. Sharon even commented, my God, his voice sounds fantastic. And it did. And when he started to develop a relationship with Optimus, it was like, this might actually be going somewhere. Maybe, maybe I forgot that there was an, oh no, complete, no, just complete. And then, and then. Do you remember the bit that made me go, what the actual fuck did they just do that? Would that be the bit where he just, oh no, it was the bit where he says, uh, the needs of the man. No. No. He, he, he no. abuses the line. No. From <laughs> yes. No. Yes, he really does. I remember when that ha- what happened in the cinema. And I am not someone who guttlery acts very often. And my line in the cinema, which I got in a little bit of trouble for. Dark of the moon, my ass. He said that, and my response was, fuck off. Is oh, that loud enough for an usher to come and shine a torch on you, Neil? Sir, my children are here on their birthday. Yeah, birthday. that was the kind of thing. There was kids around, and I realised, and yeah, it was a moment of, oh, shit. But that, you, that was, You yeah. forgot you only allowed one fuck in a PG-13, and they already wasted it saying, fucking awesome. Uh, Who said that? that? Um, it's when someone walks into the something. 
Actually, you know how we said, like, Malkovich and Tudek was one of you? Actually, there's a bigger, what the fuck are you doing in this film, of all films? Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, Buzz Aldrin. And, uh, what did it actually say? The, uh, where's the, um, oh, there you go. Buzz Aldrin. And Francis McDormand had to chew out the line, one of the first two men to step foot on the moon. It's set foot on the moon. She would know how to say that. But of course, that's all she got given. <sighs> One of the first two men to step, set, to set foot on the moon. Uh, it says step foot in my script. Y- yeah, but that's, forget it. I don't want to do an awesome wells here. Right. And the last good, by and large, it appears to be a lot more humans taking back their world. I actually approved of that, the idea of like humans versus Decepticons, and you know, we've got to be able to fight back and have our own strength rather than just using the Autobots as a shield. But then Prime, ranting like a psychopathic soldier has been in the ship far too long, still finishes the fight. It's all about him taking down the two big guys. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just surprised that when Sentinel Prime was lying bleeding to death on the ground, he didn't just sort of mumble up at Optimus, you have been and always shall be my friend, Kadoosh. So that's it, basically. All of the things that I liked about this film were completely wasted. That makes it worse than Transformers 2, because at least um, Revenge of the Fallen had a few things in it that actually weren't completely ruined and spoiled. For example, the addition of Soundwave. There was nothing that sort of took that away. Um, Optimus Prime retained his character throughout. He got killed, but that meant that they couldn't mess with him. And when he came back at the end, he still retained that, I suppose, purity of character. I, I don't, you know what? I don't even mind that Prime did all that stuff at the end. I can understand that that would happen in war. But the aftermath of that is like the most fascinating aspect of what we've just gone through and like what it took to, to lead him up to that. And then at the end, like everything that's important about that was not there. And I think it's not that it wasn't there because they didn't want to complicate things. I think it's not there because they didn't even think about it. And that is the most galling aspect. Style over substance. Yeah. Anybody else got any goods? Um, um, um. <laughs> I don't even go, um, there is no good in this. There is nothing redeemable about there really this. Isn't, is there? I mean, I could say that Rosie Ferdley Whittingstall or whatever her name is, um, is not, uh, her character is not quite as useless as I was expecting, but I'm really, really looking for there not to be something utterly worthless there. Um, mostly she is just there to be leered over. Yep. I miss Megan I mean, there's, there is, right, okay. There is, apart from the fact that her whole, her character is introduced with the shot of her arse, just her arse, at least when you got the shot of uh, Megan Fox's arse draped over the motorbike in she was Transformers it. 2, you could actually see all of her. You You just get, the arse for this and then the legs um and then eventually you know the the, area above the arse model that comes and drapes herself inexplicably over 
the undeserving Shia LaBeouf. Um, Grotesque and, little scuzzball that he is. Well, no, I mean, even that's a terrible thing to say, actually, because it shouldn't come down to a matter of deserving or not. Why is she in this movie? Why is she acting at all? Her delivery is shit. Bless her, she tries, but her delivery is terrible. It's so bad. I can't believe a film of professional supposed quality that takes $1.1 billion couldn't spend some of that $1.1 billion on somebody who knows how to deliver a line. I've actually just seen something that's depressed me more about her. To this day, she had one acting credit, which is this film. She now has two. Did you need to settle this too? No. Something I was actually looking forward to. She's playing a character called Splendid. In Mad Max Fury Road. Oh dear. I'm sure what you'll get of her in that is mostly her arse, Neil, so I, I wouldn't worry too much. Um, but there's a, there's a point where they I can't remember whether they're driving into the military base or something like that. The guards come to the car to talk to them. They shine the torch into the car straight onto her breasts. You're welcome, lads. And hold it there. Just to make it absolutely clear what everybody is supposed to be looking at at this precise moment. Although that's it. Actually, no, I find it good. I did like the line, no, that's my car, one bumblebee turned up. And his little, I actually kind of like the little, where he chewed him out for the, hey, you're on a secret mission, I'm not trying to take it away. You can't even write. I actually chuckled at that. Oh, wow, I did find something good. Okay, I'm done. I think I need to lie down now. Right, I've got a bad list here. It's a mile fucking long. I mean, what are we on now? 33 minutes. Do you, do you guys want to do your bad things first? Sound to speak. I'll just go off yours because you know what. One thing to add in. Bad list. The runtime. Yeah. Okay. It, it's, um, it's longer than 2001. <laughs> uh, I would rather have watched 2001 and I can't stand Stanley Kubrick. Oh, I thought you meant the year, not the film. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's just go through the bad list because it's huge and I want to do it as quick as possible because I think I'm done in Transformer Country, at least unless we review Prime. Number one, stupid title, Dark of the Moon. Good grief, we want to be as close as but not actually pay to use what everyone else is thinking right now. It's, it's, it doesn't even make that much sense either. I mean, it, the, the the dark side of the moon really only factors into it a bit. Yeah, it's just basically the location of the crashed ship. How about just Transformers The Invasion? Yeah, Transformers that would have... Three, the Invasion. That would actually be snappier. Yeah. Also, but... timeline makes no sense in this film. Oh, yeah? Right, so at the start of the film, we see Sentinel's Prime... Central Prime ship being shot at by the Decepticons, also which makes of which makes no sense. But, and that then crash. The way it's edited, it looks like it's shot, jumps into hyperdrive, and then crashes on the moon. Yeah. Yet we know that, and it's later said by Megatron that they were going to run him and Sentinel were going to run on Earth. Yeah. But Megatron got stuck on planet Earth how many thousands of years ago? It was a long time ago. He was definitely there a hundred years ago for, you know, bearded, 
um, Wiki Robin Williams looking chap to see him with his. Did we mention the fact that that's not how glasses work, by the way? No, but that is not how glasses work. No, yeah, it's, it's, it's glass. It doesn't store information. It's glass. <laughs> anyway, also, if you switch sides, why is the why are they shooting at you? Just to, to preserve that particular, it doesn't matter. They they aren't even thinking about it. Again, this is this is sh- shitty uh, screenwriting, wherein uh, and even some of my favourite films happen to use this trope, uh, wherein uh, a twist is entirely contingent on not knowing some information about a character. And it's like, well, hang on a second. Now that I know this information, a lot of what you previously written doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, don't think about that. Twist, twist. The twist. Think about moving forwards, not going backwards. Speaking of which, by the way, um, the girl who plays Marky Mark's daughter in Transformers 4 was Katara in The Last Airbender. So we have two alumni of M. Night Shyamalan films front and centre in the new Transformers. That's hey. going to take a lot of Grimlock to uh, to mitigate. <laughs> yeah, no, and not good Shyamalan and Ding Dong Ding Dong ones. Bad ones. It's been a long time since good ones. Um, right, next, the creepy fucking CG JFK face. Yeah, oh, creepy. that's so awful. Every time they attempt to overlay someone's face onto something else or someone else in a film to make someone look younger or older or to put a child's face on a baby or to put JFK's face on a bloke, it always looks like like your brain goes reels back from it and goes, No! To the Just point, use a lookalike! It will be I, fine! I get, I get you want to then cut to Kennedy on TV talking and it's definitely JFK. We're not using a lookalike. We're not going to use, we're not going to cast Bruce Greenwood this time because, you know, why would you want an extremely accomplished actor who's played Kennedy before? Um, and Batman. And, and Batman. But, um, but no, 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 here's how you do it, folks. You have someone run into the president's office and John F. Kennedy is uh, standing at the window and all you see is him from behind and maybe the side of his face and then you do get Bruce Greenwood in. So it's like you don't see him face on until the TV, but, you know, you have someone who's really good at impersonating his voice. In the same way as you got Maurice LaMarche to impersonate Orson Welles using Vincent D'Onofrio's body in Ed Wood. It's a weird kind of creepy disjointed way of doing it, but it doesn't make your brain go, no, everything's wrong there. Yes, you can get the 20-foot giant robots right, but you can't get John yeah. F. Kennedy. See also uh, X-Men 3 and oh, God, that the, was the so end creepy. of X-Men Origins Wolverine and Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. Creepy and the baby. Creepy baby. Creepy baby. Very creepy baby. Right, the line about this is your new lucky bunny. I've mentioned this one before, but it... it objectifies this girl like nothing else. The the horrible U2 song is the new 21 Guns and my god I wanted the whole film to explode when that played twice this time not four times. Well when Sam's in the White House and it flashes back to that and he's just met Obama which they do use a lookalike for. Which is fine. Just use a lookalike. We don't expect you to get the actual Obama or JFK in. That's mental. Sam's mother says, What a gorgeous box. Referring to Carly. 
And she means the box, but at the same time, she's talking about Carly's vagina. <laughs> objectified, as she is, as a walking set of sexual organs. That's just horrible in so many ways. Later on, she talks about her son's penis and the possibility yeah. of whether it's large or not. And I just, uh, these parents wearing their green tracksuits because it's funny, not because it's what people would do. It's, you can get, you get the robots right in these films. Almost, sort of, but you could just about believe that they're alien insectoid robots, especially when they're led by Prime, but you can't get humans accurate. Because real humans won't. So we need character. They strove. They went out of their way to make these like multi-plane, multi-plate, incredibly complex transformations. It's like you know what? These things wouldn't be all boxy and colourful like they were in the uh, in the eighties. We're bringing it to real life. Okay, then deliver us real people as well, please. Because that's kind of that's if nothing else the backdrop to which to lay these robots on so that we buy it. You're absolutely right, and I can't think why it didn't crystallise as well for me before, but yeah, if they can't do realistic humans, why the fuck should we believe the robots? I do believe the robots, because a lot of the people doing the voiceovers commit to them more than the humans commit to their roles. Yes, that's true. I just thought of something else I liked in this film, which you're probably not going to disagree with me, but... I liked Wheelie and Beaver Spot this time round. I don't know why. <laughs> I called him Beetlejuice Spot. <laughs> it's Beaver Spot. That laugh when he turns up, I was like, Beavis? <laughs> I, I think it works either way, actually. He, it does work, but those two I actually quite liked. Wheelie was less obnoxious in this one. Did I think kill- it's because he wasn't humping anybody's leg. Yeah. And he didn't call anyone a bitch. I think, but yeah, he just toned down. The, a little bit of the evil had dribbled out of him. Uh, the, Probably the, all over Megan Fox's ankle. Mate, <laughs> to get some tissues on that. Um, uh, forget, this is just a tiny thing, but um, Shia LaBeouf goes into uh, the exposition in this is, I mean, there's clunky exposition and then there's thunk, clang, as you know, my shitty parents will be here tonight. <laughs> but uh, uh, no one near sure a shitty, di- a shitty explanation or Transformers having sex. Who's that guy from Grey's Anatomy? Patrick Dempsey. Patrick Dempsey. Dempsey. He's the worst. When he basically explains to Carly for no other reason than so that she will then forward it to the authorities. This is the space bridge. You set these things up. The red one's the weak spot. Let's hope that weak spot doesn't get hit. <laughs> Why the fuck would you say that? Why so you did anyone else think of that information? Did anyone else just realize the minute Patrick Dempsey turned up in this film? Oh, yeah, he's going to be evil. Yeah. Spock was on TV. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, in foreshadowing. Yeah. Optimus Prime has allowed the American government to turn the Autobots into the Ultimates, as in they they go around the gro- as in they they circled the globe, invading small countries and just pushing around any indigenous peoples who might uh, stand in their way uh, while they try to stop terrorists. You know what? I would have killed Optimus to hear Optimus say, "Do you have a flag?" <laughs> And this is, I suppose, an extension of the uh, nest thing, and uh, too. But it seems like it's, it's something that maybe our Prime could have said. This isn't what we were brought here to do. Just have Prime not entirely comfortable with uh, with working with these people anymore. Just so, you know, if you're going to have like a super secret organization that goes around doing certain things that consists of you know giant massive robots, why are you hiding them in the middle of a city? Would not say a a base in a mountain out in the middle of in nowhere. The yeah, 
absolutely. Make, make more sense. Yeah. Or in the middle of the Hoover Dam again. That level for modern warfare, the Chernobyl bits yes. there. Pripyat. Uh, the same endless twisting, spinning metal shite in place of actual action again. Basically, once the metal starts twisting and the bots start going through the air, and Sharon, you pointed out that ev- all three films have some sort of twisting robot that goes under the ground. It's Scorponok in the first one, it's Devastator in the second one, and it's it's uh, Shockwave it's- in this one. But it's not really Shockwave, it's a separate bit, isn't it? It's it's. I sat there going, well, someone's read Dune then. Shockwave and it's, hey. Sandworms, you hate him, right? I hate him as well. Yeah, Tremors I was thinking of. Yeah, more, yeah, more. Tremors, Dune, Beetlejuice, all apply. Um, John Malkovich, again, Jesus Christ, how creepy and horrible is John Malkovich in this one with his teeth? Um, John Malkovich has been in some bad films, but he's also been in some cracking films. What's he doing in this one? Oh, I remember, yeah. I think this is one where he was having a little bit of trouble with the tax men or something. When we get to Patrick Dempsey... And he shows off a car. <sighs> Carly's draped over it and is like, Whoa, check out the curves on this car, chaps. Look how sensual it is. Look at the tits on that. <laughs> yeah. You might as well have just said, Whoa, we get it, I got it Dempsey. over with. We you know, it. when Jeremy Clarkson has more subtlety than your villain, you're yeah. in trouble. Then there's a series of really disturbing murders on Laserbeak's part. Who, by the way, doesn't actually seem airworthy or like a bird. In fact, he seems like not, not an airworthy bird anyway. He seems like a pheasant. Like he's flapping about the place like he really belongs on the ground. Also, how many transforming multiple forms does, does that guy have? Because I know we talked about triple changes way, way back in the good Transformers film. Yeah. This he, guy at one point is a pink Autobot. Yeah. A copier. A, a computer. A uh, CD player? We didn't even mention Ravage in the second film, did we? Oh, no, because he's there and gone. Yeah. He serves no purpose apart from later on when Bumblebee sort of does that weird thing where he strips him. I used to be terrified of Ravage when I was a kid. Not now. Speaking of terror, around about the Laserbeak murder time, I spotted a picture. <laughs> and I realised that Ken Jeong, Chang from Community, and I thought, Chang is going to happen... And there's nothing I can do to stop him. And Sharon, you'll attest to this. Basically, I started having like pal- heart palpitations and remembering what was about to happen. It just suddenly that the discomfort of knowing that many minutes of my life were going to be taken up by this scene again. And I'd actually blotted it out of my head. But then suddenly I was there again. Ken Jeong, playing a scientist named Jerry Wang, corners Sam in a restroom and physically forces himself upon the panicking boy in actions that basically constitute sexual assault. For no reason whatsoever, he appears to want information but behaves like a rapist toilet golem for an excruciatingly long time purely because it's a cheap laugh. Audience guffaws. I know who you are. With Mindy. With Mindy. I'm talking to you. Excuse me. Thank you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down, Tiger. You showed up in the background six different photos, two continents with aliens. That was you in Egypt, huh? Right? Because you know the aliens. See ya. Give me my check. Hey. I'm Wang. Deep Wang. Deep Wang. You're not getting it. Deep throat. Watergate? Talking cold to you! Damn it! They watch and listen. I can't go 
go to the government, but you, you can, because shit's going down, son. It is code pink, as in Floyd. Dark side. Why do you think no one's been up there since 1972? You're speaking English. I just, it, it's a very strange English. That's why I'm not... Oh, oh, don't. I'm gonna hit you. I'm gonna hit you right back, son. It's my manifesto. Before that, we get a bit where Carly steps out of a car and we pretty much, uh, like Michael Bay is squatting in the gutter, filming up her skirt. You're welcome, lads. This is just before uh, Sam goes mental again and says, what about me? What about me? Do you see how this affects me? And I started asking myself, is this vanilla sky? Is it actually, is the world actually going to revolve all around Sam? Does everything stop and start at his convenience? You are not a beautiful and unique <laughs> snowflake. You are not your fucking khakis. He is his fucking khakis. And he then is. Sam goes to the bathroom and meets Deep Wang. No. Deep Wang, Deep Wang. <laughs> the bathroom atrocity. What, what was that tweet I sent to you? It, it just says, Deep Wang, kill me or something like that. Kill me, please. Kill me, please. I'll, just, I'll, I'll check it because I, I retweeted it. Why is this in here? Why? Who wrote... I mean, obviously, Aaron Kruger wrote this. Why did he write this? A bit of uncomfortable comedy, and it's cheap. If you took the uncomfortable comedy and the pointlessness and the drama that's not actually drama out of this film, it'd be an hour shorter. I'll tell you right now. You could have got this film done in an hour and a half, and we're back outside. I don't know why it wasn't. It's a simple movie, really. The Decepticons invade, and the Autobots and humans get rid of them. That's it. That's all that happens in the film. Mm. Never thought I'd miss Bob Orsi, Alex Kurtzman, and Megan Fox quite so much. Oh, dear God. But I did. So miss Megan Fox in this film. I did. <sighs> I, I, I uh, truly am sorry for any negative things that you said about that. Megan Fox was good. God, compared to, to her replacement, she was so much better. Yeah. There was stuff going on, even if it was just little things. It was it just added to her character. She was trying to own it. <sighs> and well, you know what's really funny? You can tell that this was still written with Michaela in mind because it's its replacement that convinces Megatron to get involved in the first place. Because Megatron's having a sit and a sulk. Yeah, Megatron yeah. is sitting and sulking. Ugh. I I would actually this scene. I think Sharon, you went, ugh, too. But I think I kind of liked it because it showed that Carly had an, a bit of chutzpah. It wasn't enough to get it a good point, but it could have developed, you know, Megatron actually talking to someone rather than just going, rah. However, he went to actually crush her, but she was protected by leading lady status. Lost like a shield. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of which, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam should have died at the end of this. You know, I'm just a messenger and he saves the day, but dies in the process doing something, giving the supreme sacrifice and doing something unselfish for the first time in his life. You know, he's not going to be used in the next Transformers films. So why not just kill him? You, know, you can't kill Optimus Prime, not permanently, but you can sure as hell kill the actor you're not going to bring back. That struck me really hard this time, actually, for all that he goes on about how much he admires Optimus Prime and how much he respects him uh, and how impressed he is by who he is and what he does. He sure does spend an awful lot of time ignoring everything Optimus is trying to teach him about self-worth and sacrifice and honour and, uh, you know, other 
putting others before yourself. Yeah. The end of the first one where uh, Prime uh, says, you've got to ram that cube into my chest. It's a sacrifice worth making. Um, th- that, sh- that should have come full circle. And, uh, and Sam should have thought about how Prime suggested that in the first one, actually was killed defending him in the second one, and thought, well, it's, it's my turn now. I've actually got to give everything for this and for that to be Sam's you know what that actually would have rescued a lot of this film for Sam to actually realize that and and I know it's kind of like this it's part and parcel with the hero thing of you know you have to die in glory and then you'll be remembered forever but it's better than just what they deliver which is not much of anything but he's the hero and the hero can't die but Maybe he's they were not afraid the hero want to go see a film that had a downbeat ending yeah, also true He's not the hero, and that should be the message. Financially speaking, they made the right choice, because it would have made less than $1.1 billion if people had been like, oh, I watch a film to make me feel good about myself. To have the Transformers constantly tell me what a brilliant race humanity is. To never have Optimus say, you know, there's some things I don't like about your race. Yeah, the Transformers fall into what is referred to as new doctor problems. Because he's always going on about how brilliant we are and, you know, kind of crosses over the whole negative thing. Yeah. You know, at least in um, Fifth uh, Fifth Element, there's the whole scene where yeah. Lilu um, basically goes into an existential malaise because she sees how terribly we treat each other. Yeah. It takes love to actually bring her back from that. I brilliant. <laughs> love that film. Um, in fact, weren't we talking about that the other day, Sharon? It's basically Die Hard for Kids. Yes, although you said Corbin has a lot more emotion to him than uh, yeah. McLean ever does. John McLean would just let Lilu die and humanity with her. <laughs> go, I it, don't it, think so he no, would. I think that was a bit harsh of you to say. He, he, he'd go, oh, fine, I fucking love you then. Anything to stop talking about this fucking awful film. Why is Alan Tudyk, one of my favourite actors, playing a repulsive homosexual stereotype? He's spying for Joss Whedon. It's the only possible explanation. Is the correct answer. Why is Bumblebee a tank now? Pass. Uh, every the plot demands transformed. so. Like, uh, he was driving along at, at super speed and, like, all these guns popped out of him and then he transformed. Same spinning through the air metal shite, this time on a freeway. That reminded me of the shootout in Bad Boys 2. Only that was much better. <sighs> Sentinel Prime just goes evil and caps Ironhide because we were... Did We went... Actually, someone's come back to on this. Yeah. Why is it, if you're not... Any other Autobot other than Optimus and Bumblebee, if you're given a personality, that means you will die. Ironhide gets more of a personality this time round. You get the, 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 the mad scientist one, Q, is it? Y- yes, yeah. They both the sort Irish of get... Chap. They sort of get personalities in this one for what, um, that's what I'm going to call personalities. They get sort of trained. Executed. And then they get killed! Both of them executed. It's like, well, we can't kill Bumblebee because he sells lots of toys and the kids love him. We can't kill Optimus because they're <laughs> already. Oh, let's just cap Ironhide! Well, still, it's, you know, business as usual. Ironhide's going to buy it. And, and notice, they didn't just, just kill him. For some reason, Sentinel's prime gun, and I think this is the only time in the film that it does this, shoots rust, for one of that way. Yeah, he rusts and rots to death. Yeah. So, yeah, Sentinel Prime just goes evil and caps on her because we were never going to win the war? Sorry, what? He was always going to defect? There's no conflict, no characterization there? It's just good and evil, and evil people just want 
to those who I think it's described at the beginning by Art Primer as those who dream of tyranny versus yep. those who seek freedom. It's just that divide. It's either freedom or tyranny. There's nothing in between. Oh, I found out what uh, Cybertronians who were not Autobots or Decepticons are called after reading some of the comics last night. Nails. Non-affiliated indigenous life forms. Which, uh, is actually, has something of a stigma to it. When Autobots use it, they actually get quite a lot of aggro from the rest of the bots on Cybertron going, yeah, well, just because we didn't want to perpetuate a war that's been raging for millions of years on our planet, you, you've the equal- word for us. The Decepticon Autobot War is basically World War Two if it went on for millennia. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like, but, that, by that reckoning, that does make Optimus Prime Churchill, I guess. Huh. Yeah, hmm. Some of the uh, Autobots, including uh, Hot Rod, are uh, presumed dead, and Bumblebee suggests they have a funeral, and is reminded by Prowl that if he does so, 80% of the planet won't give a monkeys, and 10% will be actively hostile. So it's not going to be a popular funeral. That's how small the Autobots and Decepticons should feel. They've mm. never given that much scope in the movies, and very rarely in the animated series. Yeah, the comics do a I think it's the IDW ones do a good yeah. job of um, expanding a lot of the universe and lore more. At this point, Sam's mother starts talking about her son's potentially large dick. Oh. Then there's more horrible insect Decepticons. Then there's scheming Illuminati fucks led by uh, Patrick Dempsey and his. Then there's tentacle watch. porn. Then there's really strongly hinted tentacle cybernetic rape, hinted at by Soundwave upon Carly. Yeah, that bothered me a lot. Then Sam acts like a maniac around... Um, I, I put Arlington here, because that's basically who Francis McDormand was playing, with no repercussions. That's basically... He, he does like a, a somersault over the table around a bunch of... Are these guys NSA agents? There's something like that. They're trained analysts. They would freaking notice this. Yeah, they would notice him slam onto the table with his back and flop down beside their, their boss. Basically, within a second, there would be four guns on him because it would look like he was going fucking nuts. But no, nobody, like, everyone just goes, ah, guess it's nothing then. And then he meets um, Tyrese Gibson, who goes, what the hell is that watch? You're going to let go of my hand? I guess that's nothing then. And then this carries on. Everyone must avoid this talking about this special watch. Uh, did you do you recognise which um, episodes? It's a double episode. Uh, the uh, plot of the the Autobots getting shot off into space was from. I can't remember the episode title, but I do know it. Yes, because they go through it in G one. It was Megatron's master plan from season yeah. two, and uh, yeah, um, basically the Decepticons frame the Autobots, and then they get shunned by the humans and sent off in a uh, spaceship. But the Decepticons have had it programmed to send them into the sun. And then uh, the uh, humans embrace the Decepticons and throw them a big party. But then the Decepticons invade them and the Autobots come back and save the day. That's what the end, the last third of this film is based on. Yeah, the funny thing there is as well. Okay, the race is called the Decepticons. <laughs> That's a really trustful race, isn't it? It's like trusting the Ferengi. Well, we're called the Gullibilicans. <sighs> We probably are to the Decepticons. It's a nonsensically small spaceship, though. The, 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 the ship that it's got a, a shuttle attached to it. But do you know how much rocket fuel it takes to lift a gram of matter out of Earth's atmosphere? Oh, it's somewhat ludicrous, isn't it? It's, it's a massive amount. It's ridiculous amounts. And imagine, like, imagine those enormous rockets designed to, to fire three people in a tiny capsule up 
into space. Now just chuck a bunch of Chevys and motorbikes and a, a fucking Mack truck in there as well. Just for good measure. And yeah. it's, it's too small a ship. Also, not that it makes any fucking difference. Also, well, you know, when we watch a lot of these films, you know how often, and I'm sure they've actually said this in the films before, I think like, when they were the whole Sam thing, what happens that we don't negotiate with terrorists kind of thing? No, oh, we totally would negotiate with terrorists if they're Decepticons. And they're, they're, they're being so trustworthy. And we can't <sighs> think of any other way of getting out of it. And making you think we've killed all the Autobots. Then the Cybertronian army of bastards invades and shoots up Earth slash Chicago, because I don't think they were really doing this. I mean, there's lots of sort of around-the-world things, like they're probably going to shoot up Machu Picchu as well, so everyone around that area is going to be running. No, I think it is just Chicago, because when you see the trailer for 4, there's that great big billboard that says, Remember Chicago. Oh, right. Okay. So, So, yeah. Just random thought. The Wreckers. Yeah, those guys. Horrible Scottish and Irish stereotypes. Yep. But they're NASCARs. Yeah. Are we, are we going for the two for one there? I think uh, this is because there's a lot less racism in this one than there was in two. Uh, and so I think, really? <laughs> I think they're going out of their way to, um, uh, to try not to just do black people are funny anymore. And they're going to go for soft oh, I object. Like the Objection. Yeah? Uh, for the- that one soldier who, I think I made that comment and then suddenly, Sharon made that comment and suddenly he started acting like a twat. Yes, I was about to say, the guy that was going on about that, I'm having a heart attack in the fried chicken thing, yeah. The guy with the rocket launcher. Uh, that I so prayed would jump, fall out the building. Then there's an utterly tedious, protracted series of action sequences impossible to engage with. And it's alarming how superficially similar to the alien invasion it is to the one in Avengers. As I said before, the space bridge, the giant flying centipede things. Only you're not really with the Avengers. There's almost no Transformer action in this final battle. It's just sort of stuck with the humans. So it feels more like Call of Duty. And like, when you are with them... Really they, like Call of Duty. And when you are with them, they get caught and then... Well, one of them gets executed. Oh, the, nice. the bots? Yeah, the bots. Well, first of all... That bit where Bumblebee's, like, kneeling down, about to be executed... Then there's a distraction and he breaks out the gun and shoots everyone. Right. That exact scenario could happen with disarmed soldiers... But if you've literally got a gun in your arm and you've seen a friend of yours just get executed, wouldn't you at least try shooting your way out? Yeah, you're going to die either way, so go out fighting. It doesn't work if you've got a gun in your arm. Hmm. Uh, There's nothing at stake here. Basically, if you allow yourself to be killed... it, It... it, literally, that scene exists. Oh, oh, Bumblebee might die. Bumblebee. Oh no, he's safe. That's False it. stakes. This film is littered with those. <laughs> then uh, there's the uh, the scenario of Cybertron being brought right next to our planet. Oh, you know like, what? I, 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 close enough to touch. I groan there, but I think that actually happened in G1. Yeah, but that's that's crazy cartoon logic. 
yeah, it's slightly more acceptable. <laughs> you yeah. have a, tra- you have a, you know, a, a, you have space train. Yeah, this is a <laughs> you can put the they've... concept of physics on hold for yeah. a moment. This is a one where they've actually sort of tried to apply to physics, and you know, you're supposed to only tra- turn into robots that, uh, you know, sorry, cars that are exactly the same size as you, and things like that. Gravity doesn't work like that. Here's what would actually happen if you put a planet about the size of Earth right next to Earth. Everything on the same hemisphere as that planet's face would be ripped up and flung into orbit as the gravitational forces yank against them. Frankly, the two planets would collide as the two gravitational forces worked against each other. Mm. It would destroy both planets. It's insane. Yeah, it's not playing uh, with It would make more sense to bring the planet close to, say, Mars. Or basically just destroy Mars and put Cybertron there in its place. Basically to adopt, to, um, to hijack its orbit. Therefore, yeah. If for a long term thing, I mean that, that was just off the top of my head, but you could explain that to a physician and they go, well, no, the, the forces of the explosion of Mars itself would throw the galaxy off, but I suppose it sort of makes a bit more sense than just bring it in like a pool ball right next to the Earth. <laughs> With planets. God, we're referencing so many bad stuff than this. And then, yeah, Carly called Megatron a bitch and Optimus butchers Megatron tearing his head off. And it's further proof that Aaron Kruger is a soulless little shit. And that's it. That's the end. I mean, by the way, you know that scene? Didn't you just want the voiceover from Mortal Kombat to go, Fatality. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I would say flawless victory, but he got his fucking arm cut off. Yeah. Anyway, the the abuse of the needs of the many speech, just like uh, with you early, made me feel ill around this. <sighs> that, that did, woo, one of the most iconic fucking lines from Star Trek to one of the most iconic movies of that franchise. Let's just throw use it as a throwaway line. It's not just that's <clears throat> just a throwaway line. It's the fact that it's being put in the completely opposite context as how it was originally used. Yeah. It's supposed to represent somebody sacrificing themselves so that the the greater good can be fulfilled. Not somebody sacrificing an entire planet so that his small selection of beings can continue to live. <laughs> it's not a line to be used about fucking genocide. Because that's what we're talking about. That's what the uh, Decepticons pretty much are trying to perpetrate. Well, Indeed. I, I and think they were saying that the, the humans were going to be slaves rather than uh, um, exterminated. But, it's, it's but I'm, I'm still... assuming Age of Extinction, they go straight ahead and go, oh, these guys aren't going to be made slaves, let's kill them all. It's still technically the needs of the few outweighing the needs of the many. There are fewer Transformers than there are humans. There are definitely fewer Decepticons than there are humans. There might be a lot more nails than there are humans. But they probably wouldn't want the humans to be exterminated. Hey, they'd probably be like, oh, hey, alien life. Let's, you know, get on. They're all pink and squishy. <laughs> get, Ew, I, I just stood on one. In all seriousness, <laughs> bringing Cybertron uh, into Mars's orbit and replacing Mars with Cybertron, maybe through some sort of space jiggery pokery, would be, you know, a, a good, like, moving the plot on, you know? Like, like that's now the, the our solar system. 
That actually kind of... would almost work if they could come up with some kind of quantum explanation that basically meant you had to, you could bring Cybertron into orbit around the sun, but you had to switch it out with something of equivalent size and mass. Yeah. Orbital wobble. There you go. Solved that problem. <laughs> I referenced something far worse than this film, but sod it. It was what worth was, it. What's that? Island of the Source. We do oh, not talk of that, that one, ever. Can we finish? Yes, please. please. <laughs> okay, I just realised there is at least three good things that came from this. Oh, Jesus. Because of, the, because of this franchise would be yeah. better. Okay. Okay. Transformers Prime. Yep. Which is a fantastic animated Although, series. Transformers Prime was cancelled because of Transformers 4, because they wanted to make sure that the toys on the shelf were all for the new movie and not to do with this TV show. Which is a shame, but it's still it was still a good series. Although Robots in Disguise, the new version of it, is technically a sequel, so it actually knocks on from it. So, silver lining. Cool. And the other two would be High Moon Studios, War 4, and Fall of Cybertron games. Yeah. Again, they're linked in with uh, Prime, and uh, certainly... I mean, yeah, basically... Um, Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime again... That is a good thing. That we can, that that's the thing that can be salvaged from these movies. That uh, that there there are various moments, specifically as I said, the first time that 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 uh, Optimus transforms. That's the first time Cullen comes back properly, and he's been here for seven years since in regular appearances. The yeah, he's kind of got his retirement plan sorted, hasn't he? Yeah. And uh, I, I know he deeply cares about the role, and I'm fairly certain that what happened in 3 would have troubled him. But not so much that he didn't turn up in 4. Um, oh, so the other thing that I suppose is, 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 has come good from these is that it gave Marvel the template for Avengers. They were like, right, this is the bar we've got to not only hit, but surpass using this template. Basically, they deliver us the same build-up to climactic battle that you know, for 45 minutes in a city as this film. And as I said, it's, it's the other way around because it's entirely focused on the, uh, the dynamic of the team themselves and they care. Their main priority when they hit uh, New York is to try to get people to safety. See, that is one with, uh, something else, because you know, we've had stuff like the Avengers that now that have shown that you can do this formula much better and in more interesting ways. I'm really hoping that this is going to start to see the drop-off of the Transformers films, because people are going to sit there, they're going to go, you know, I mean, by th- but we're now at the fourth seat, you know, the fourth film, the third sequel, that people are going to go, any of those that maintain that little shred of hope that these are going to get better, finally learn. The fact that we've got Avengers that have done this in so much better ways, mm. you know, hopefully we're going to see the drop-off. I don't know how well Thor's doing. I kind of don't want to because I'd probably find it depressing. But I know the reviews have not been good for it. It's down again, to 16% right now. It's actually technically the lowest scoring Transformers yet. Well, hopefully that might, as horrible as it sounds, let it rest. Maybe a reboot. This was supposed to be a reboot. <laughs> I think if it makes only 700 million, the same as the first one, they'll still keep going. They'll just lower the budget. That's how it works. Oh, does it work like that? It used to work like that in uh, back in the day. Maybe they'll throw more money at it. Hard to say. These films, they don't... <coughs> it's odd. When you look at these films compared to others, they... They don't seem to work the same way. There seems to be some sort of special math and logic that's it, maths and logic Thank that is. Thank you. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was going to get shouted at. You know, that seems to be applied to them, you know? It, it is really weird. These films were critically panned. Yeah. Absolutely critically panned. Mauled. But they still keep making them. Yeah. Whereas something that's, I don't even want to call it a cult hit anymore because I don't think it is, but something like Dread has only, is still struggling to get a sequel. Something like, um, uh, was it, well, only a few, was it last week, week before, that it was finally announced that Pacific Rim was getting a sequel. Yep. Yet these films that have been critically panned got one. All right, maybe it's the box well, office. Money matters more than critical acclaim. It's, it's the blockbuster uh, market. It's, it's not really about getting... The fact that blockbusters can get fantastic reviews is in itself... a you know, it's not new because Jaws got fantastic reviews, as you said. The first blockbuster, Star Wars. Everybody loves Star Wars. Everybody loved Empire Strikes Back. It's not necessarily new, but to be a real film, to be really fantastic, and to get hit this scale, it it was relatively unheard of. So it's kind it's, of like it's. Uh, we've said this though. It's the marketing. If the mm-hmm. if the people who are selling the films, not the people making them, not the people watching them, if the people who are selling them can explain them in a short, to the point way that ticks a certain number of boxes and they get it, you know, just enough attention to get everybody in in the first week of release, then they do gangbusters. And that means that they will be greenlit to make more of the same thing. It, what's in the film doesn't matter. It could simply be Michael Bay swearing at the audience for two and a half hours. If they knew how to market it and it got enough people in to come in and sit and watch it they'd make more of them he'd probably just put jiggling titties there instead I don't know if it was Michael Bay swearing that technically be an art film Michael Bay's art film Michael Bay's meltdown (laughs) (laughs) oh we saw that was it Samsung that was funny I'd like that um but as long as they carry on being successful, and they're successful because they know how to market them, not because of what's in them, he's mm. laughing all the way to the bank. He's got no reason to change the way he does things. And he, he can is. kid himself that people actually like what he does when that's nothing to do with it. People will pay to waste time in a cinema in front of what he does. I don't think he worries too much about whether people like it or not. I think he he, he knows there are certain beats he has to hit to just deliver people what they want and clearly they want it hmm. well people want porn people pay for porn despite the fact that it makes them feel empty inside and hideous afterwards they will continue paying for it okay so uh, on the wank scale are we going to go ahead and say that uh, transformers 3 is not as good as a wank and it's clearly miles behind a pacific rim job <laughs> And on You've that been bomb- sat on that one, haven't you? <laughs> Literally. Oh. And on that bombshell, thank you very much, Neil, for enduring all of this shite. Again. And, Again. And thank you very much, Sharon, for uh, being my running mate through this, because uh, I don't think I could have done it alone this time. I, I just... I, I've never seen... Transformers 3 before. I don't think I've seen Transformers 2 before. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about you right now. Yeah, I'll make it up to you somehow. We'll, we'll review something good like the Lego movie. <laughs> review the Lego, yes, nice. that'd be better. Everything be is awesome. I have a special announcement to make. Next week, I will be launching my first Patreon. 
If you're not familiar with these, it's kind of like an ongoing Kickstarter. Uh, rather than raising a lump sum for a single huge project, it's a way for people to show their support for artists who are putting out regular work. Extra credits have one for their history series, as does webcomic artist Mike Hearn from last week's show. Now, the ongoing project I'm dedicating my time to is the New Century web series for YouTube. The first season will be adding a visual element to the Cartographer's Handbook, which you may recall I released last year. And the second season will be the new book I'm writing, Continuing the Story. This is something that needs as much word of mouth as possible. So even if you don't donate, please do spread the word on this. The way I've put these first few shows together is impressive and effective. And I'm really proud of how it's shaping up. And I'd like people to see this. So tweet it. Talk about it on Facebook. Every single forum that you're on. Make as many people as you can aware of the New Century YouTube series and its Patreon. Plus, of course, if you would like to support it with a few bucks, there's all sorts of backstage goodies and bonuses lined up, so check those out. More details next week when the Age of Extinction podcast launches on the Tuesday, and on the Wednesday, the Patreon begins. So make that the focal point of your week. I am powered by fan enthusiasm and Oreos, but I can't buy Oreos with enthusiasm alone. is Bay essentially going we're taking this franchise we are d- pushing the bounds as far as we can in terms of the sort of you know the leery pornographic sense because basically what you all know is women are, 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 are cars and toy they're all the same thing right they're all just things to be leered at and played with and what hey what hey what now there is a moment in the film in which one of the characters I says... I do we're going to hear a clip. In which one, Well, no, let's not. There is a moment in the film in which one of the characters, one of the little Autobot thingies, says, this is a total cluster. And then it cuts, right? Fruit this cake. is a cluster fruitcake. Cluster fruitcake. Yep. He doesn't say the word fruitcake. This is a 12-rated film in which they use the... the you know, they invoke the word cluster. And in fact, funnily enough, it's one of those moments that defines the film. Cluster fruitcake is a term that has two meanings. One of them is to do with the pornographic film industry, which works on the basis of if two people getting along famously is sexy, 20 people getting along famously is more sexy. It's also a term that's used for military debacles. I think was coined... I mean, I looked this up in the OED and it turns up in 1969 in reference to Vietnam, OK? And it actually set, uses this word in a kid's film. In a kid's film, it actually invokes this word. The last 60 minutes of Transformers is a cluster fruitcake. It is... The final battle goes on for 60 minutes. Now... You now have to start understanding that this is what I'm talking about, endpoints. No editor in their right mind would say that a battle sequence should go on for 60 minutes. It's just because you can't tell who's doing what to who, why, where, what. You literally just sit there and it is, like the the word that it has invoked it, it is essentially a lot of bits and parts and thrusting and banging and smashing and you don't know who that belongs to or what that belongs to. And every now and then there are great explosions of completely inexplicable fluids and noises of people groaning and grasping and you're going... I'm sorry, you don't have to be really, really sort of looking for a subtext to see where this is all coming from. Now, worse than that, 
worse, worse, worse than you know the the, uh, the, the sort of the pornographization of all this stuff. Michael Bay thinks he has a sense of humour. What's the essence of comedy? Ask me what the essence of comedy is. I know this joke, but yeah. I'll do it. I say, Mark, timing. Okay? Nobody, exactly, nobody who does a 60-minute battle sequence has a sense of timing, okay? Michael Bay may be a lot of things, but a comedian is not one of them, and yet somehow he does believe that he's funny. So, the characters, the funny characters, the parents making the jokes about self-abuse, they're back. The small little robots who in the last movie were accused of being borderline racist, they're back doing their, you know, comic witty stuff. We've got, you know, the, the Scots, the Scots robot who seems to be constantly angry. The Irish robot who seems to be constantly drunk. We've got the character who's a bit European, so therefore he's a bit light on his feet, maybe. We've got, it's like, and these are Michael, so not only is Michael Bay doing essentially a softcore sex film, what he's doing is a softcore sex comedy. Interesting industrial point. The most successful 3D movie ever made in terms of money spent and money made back is from the late 1960s, early 1970s, called The Stewardesses. Tagline, these leggy lovelies leap off the screen and into your lap, okay? And it is a softcore sex comedy in 3D. Michael Bay isn't making Avatar. He's making The Stewardesses. The difference is Stewardesses cost about £100,000. This costs something like £250 million, okay? You finally, therefore, get to the end point of all all of this, which is he hasn't learned any of the lessons before. He's turned everything up. You've got it's you know longer than two thousand one. All the rest of it. So where does this leave us? Here's where it leaves us. The, mo- the movie will take a massive amount of money. It will briefly be used as a tentpole to say 3D is back on track. It will be used as a stick with which to beat critics. Oh, critics, they don't understand anything. They're complaining about transforming, but and then in two years' time, when the whole thing has gone down, when the ship has sunk, when civilization has been reduced to some crying, weeping, wailing child on the side of a you know, river slew of this horrible vulgarization of what was once a children's toy I want a letter I want a letter saying I'm sorry you were right. Would a text be enough? No. Oh last point. Oh. Michael Bay wrote a letter to projectionists right? Dear projectionists this movie is very important. Now does in, he have this pompous style of speaking? In American. In the past, Stanley Kubrick used to write to, to projectionists. There's a lovely letter been doing, circulating recently from Stanley Kubrick saying, we spent all this time making Barry Lyndon. The costumes, the lighting, you know, the candlelight. We got le- lenses from NASA. We, you know, the set design, the mise-en-scene, all this stuff. Now it's in your hands. It's very important. To, please check the focus is right. Please check the framing is right. If you get an, an LP to play in the middle of the interval, please only play side two because side one's got some repeated cues. Please bear in mind that there are little dots and well, they're wrong on reel three and handing it all over, right? Michael Bay writes a letter to projectionists. It goes like this. Dear projectionist, you spent loads of money putting this equipment in. Turn it up bright! And you go, and with that, I give you my leave, because that is the end point. You start with Stanley Kubrick writing to projectionists, asking them to be soft with the focus, and you end up with Michael Bay telling them to turn up to 11, because they spent so much money putting the stuff in. And you know what, Michael? When you get to the multiplexes, there ain't going to be any projectionists to read your letter, because they've all lost their jobs due to the miracle of digital projection, which came about thanks to the miracle of 3D. Thank you. you more than Michael Bay missed the mark when he made Pearl Harbor I miss you more than that movie missed the point 
And that's an awful lot, girl And now, now you've gone away And all I'm trying to say Is Pearl Harbor sucked And I miss you Sucked. 